Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on self worst. Oh boy. What's up folks? What a week, huh? Long ass week. It's finally Friday as I'm posting this. I'm tired. I feel like we're all probably pretty tired. It's been a very taxing week. What with the Roe v. Wade news, all of that stuff. That was still this week. Feels like it was a month ago. I can't believe it. So I'm exhausted. So this episode is uh, it's a little uh, it's, it's patchy. Not on the part of my guest. My guest is amazing. And she, she brought the heat. But I think just... Uh, just with me, just with me. I'm, I'm feeling just a little, you know, a little ratty. Feeling kind of, I'm sitting here, I'm talking to you. I'm, uh, I'm unshowered. I feel like my teeth, like, have that, like, fuzz on them. You know what I'm saying? I was out late last night. Went and saw Eve 6. Because <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Jake Flores, was opening for them. And so, went and checked that out. And, you know, stayed out past my bedtime. Tired. Not gonna lie, a little hungover. Not because I went real hard last night. I'm just old. I'm in my 30s. My late 30s, as it were. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just... God, you think you're you're just, like, having a normal amount and you're fine. And then all of a sudden you're crossfaded and you wake up all, like, just head-pounding and gross. And your body's like, ah! So... That's that's the energy I'm, I'm bringing today, and it sucks. I'm sorry. I wish I was in better form for this show. Feels disrespectful to you and to my guest. I don't know why I feel the need to explain myself. I just wanted to let you know how I'm feeling. We're being honest about how we feel on this show about feelings. So I'm tired, a little rough around the edges. That's where I'm at. And that's kind of the headspace that I was in for, for uh, most of this interview. But I think it was really good. So we're talking this week to Amy Gordon. She's an actual goddamn therapist. She's not just some guy with a microphone and some opinions on the internet. She actually like, went to school for this and like actually knows what therapy is. And I guess we should issue the caveat, of course... That you know, this uh, this uh, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes, edutainment, if you will, and is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. You know that. Come on, yo. <laughs> if you are really getting the whole of your uh, mental health help resources, whatever, from me, uh, you're in trouble. Like, you, you, you really gotta see some, I do not, I am not, I am not the one. I, I am, I am a friend, I am an ally to you, I am with you in your struggles, but bro, I'm in the same boat. I'm, 
I'm too old, apparently, to go out and see see a rock and roll show of a old old ass band from the '90s without just being gross and hungover and gnarly the next day. Ugh. You don't want to fucking take advice from me. Dude, I make like 30k a year. It's sad. Look at... I wish I could show you the condition of my phone right now. I've dropped it so many times. Case is cracked. Screen's cracked. It's all coming apart. Shoes are in terrible condition. Gotta get new shoes. I got some new threads this week. I felt like that. I will never financially recover from this. Like I think I said that to myself, like as I was paying, as as I was clicking buy. So don't really listen to me, but do listen to my guest. She's amazing and is doing really cool work out in New Mexico. It's crazy out there. It's like a whole different planet. Looks like Mars and shit. Got mesas. And mountains and like red dirt it's, it's crazy it's a beautiful place I imagine there's a lot of turquoise I don't know I don't know <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying I should probably just let y'all get on with the show you know cut my losses quit while I'm ahead quit while this is a semi-coherent intro to I think a very a good episode Despite me, uh, your boy, admittedly, this is a, this is a podcast all about honesty and shortcomings, and I'm going to admit to you right now, my dear listener, not on my A game today, and I don't want you to take that as like, oh, this won't be a very good episode, because again, I'm leaning on the uh, the bright shining light of my guest as I do every week. I hope y'all are doing okay. Hope y'all are uh, resting and hydrating and uh, waking up feeling refreshed and bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready for your day. And uh, I hope that you get outside this weekend, touch some grass, commune with God and nature, and, uh, you know, get, get in touch with your community. That's that's what we talk about on this episode, particularly. Getting back to the roots of humanity. Getting into the, the real primal hunter-gatherer, like, animals connected to Earth kind of shit that we need as people. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, you'll hear all of that. So, uh, you know, rate and review, all of that. Uh, why don't I do that after the show? Let's go right now to the interview with my friend, Amy Gordon. So I'll have you introduce yourself real quick. Uh, you're, you're Amy Gordon, and I'll have you take it from there. Okay. Yeah, I'm Amy Gordon. I use she, her pronouns, and currently I reside on Tiwa land, um, also um, known as Albuquerque, New Mexico. I recently moved here from Santa Fe, which is about an hour north, and that's Tiwa land. Um, 
So I am a clinical supervisor and an independently licensed clinician, um, uh, you know, a therapist. <laughs> and uh, I also have mental health uh, diagnoses and struggles, um, just self-disclosure there. And um, my ancestors are of colonizer and Jewish settler descent. And if there's anything else about my identity you'd like to know, um, I'd probably gladly answer. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we know each other from decades ago, literally. I think we've seen each other in like 20 years. We, uh, uh, we, we, we lived in Lincoln, Nebraska together um, and, you know, kind of went our separate ways. And then uh, next thing you know, I look you up on Instagram. I don't know how I came across it. You're a fucking therapist. And I've been, you know, uh, uh in therapy and uh, needing therapy and having a podcast about therapy for uh, you know like a, a decade, so you know it's 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 a uh, kismet, I guess. Um, so it's 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 interesting that uh, you know our paths cross again. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's like right around that time is when I started going to therapy. Also, like you know the the end of high school um, and. Yeah, and also I'm a podcaster. I'm kind of in between podcasts right now, though. Um, just work and life are so energy consuming that I, I haven't had a lot of extra creative energy <laughs> lately, but I'll get back to it for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's understandable. You're an actual therapist. And so, you know, like I I, I have time for this because I, I merely play one on a podcast. Um, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's important to look at all these issues from different perspectives and mm -hmm. that's great yeah i'm glad you're doing your podcast so uh you are a adventure therapist can you tell us a little bit more about what that is yes and i forget to mention one of one of the aspects of my identity that i find most important or up there is that i'm queer so i just thought i'd also put that out there sure yeah um so adventure therapy um it kind of it like started in the 70s when um, there was a lot of like experiential education and outdoor behavioral health sort of um, programs that weren't necessarily facilitated by therapists. Um, so that heavily influenced um, some therapists at the time. So it's sort of a hybrid between um, therapy and outdoor experiential education or even just like novel um, approaches to therapy. So uh, basically, in a nutshell, we use experiential methods for people to gain perspective on their lives and what they're going through, um, sort of related to gestalt. It's like just what comes up in the here and now um, is a whole to work with is sort of this um, philosophy behind adventure therapy. Um, and we use a lot of uh, metaphoric transference, so using metaphor to apply um, what we just went through or what we're engaging with um to our lives hmm. um what drew you to that modality of therapy uh over over any other type yeah it was a little bit accidental in that um i when i was in grad school um i was also working as an executive director for a nonprofit organization at the time and um i was just so burnt out. I was working 70 to 90 hour weeks and um, my, my physical health was deteriorating. And I decided at that time that I, I didn't want to work in an office. 
Um, so while I was in grad school, I got a job as a therapeutic adventure facilitator, which is, um, you know, non-clinical therapeutic adventure work. And, um, and so I ended up doing my internship and practicum through that program, um, through that organization, and uh, ended up really developing their curriculum with them at the time because they hadn't had a lot of therapists, like master's level clinicians. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started. It was accidental and I loved it. Um, so I just haven't really gone back. Living in New Mexico, I, I imagine it lends itself to a lot of you know, really breathtaking outdoor vistas yeah. <laughs> and experiences and stuff i i For I, sure, yeah. I, I get the idea that people who live in new mexico tend to be like very outdoorsy uh type of people um you know which as a new yorker uh lived here for 10 11 years now is something that you get stuck here if you're too busy and you don't have the money to like get out of the city and go out into nature every once in a while it mm -hmm. really uh, gets into your head and just sort of feels like your whole universe. And like the minute you step outside of it, it's just really, uh, yeah, it's a different, it's a different vibe. Of course it is, but like, it's, it's just, it's very easy to, um, forget that. I think when you get into the grind of a big dense city like this. So I, you know, I, yeah. all this to say that I think more New Yorkers ought to like get out of the city <laughs> every once in a while and just, you know, go, Cut, touch grass, as they say, on the internet. Yeah, and you know it's amazing how differently um, we can see ourselves and our lives and our issues when we just shift that perspective, which can be physical location. Um, but nature does a lot of the work for us. Um, so getting outside of man-made structures um, can be highly therapeutic, of course. Mm -hmm. There is actually a lot of evidence basis for um, adventure therapy, different aspects of it or different approaches to it. Um, and like experiential education, for instance, um, there are a lot of science, like hard scientific outcomes that have been, you know, like proved in quotes. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I mean, you're right that you kind of get, get out what you put into it. But I think that there's also some, um, there's something else about about being outside. Things, you know, when your your neurology changes. So your neurobiology, your your neurology, um, you know, where where energy is going and why. When you're, you know, mirror neurons, for instance, when you're looking at a tree, that tree is actually activating mirror neurons in your own brain that are experiencing something like the tree's movement, the tree's energy. So. Um, yeah, or the or a mountain. You know, it's still it's strong, it's powerful. Um, so you can access, uh, you know, things that you might not have brought to it, also, and engaging with other people. So one of the uh, main things that we do, well, one of the like historically at least, and I think I'm kind of part of this generation of adventure therapists who are bringing adventure therapy to individual therapy. But um, for the most part, it's group therapy. And so there's um, interpersonal neurobiology and kind of some healing that occurs in neuro or in uh, interpersonal spaces as well, um, you know, as a part of that. So experiencing, for instance, uh, if you were to take a program of adults in recovery out um, on a hike and maybe, maybe even let's just say repelling, um, because so many people have this like profound experience of like, oh, my God, I can I can do that. 
like I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't think I was the kind of person who could ever climb, let alone repel. And, you know, there's this pride and then you find this metaphor and what they did and how they engaged with the experience. But, um, you know, witnessing your cohort or your, you know, your peers also kind of achieving and gaining insight and, um, you know, helping to process the things that come up during these experiences with each other uh, is also very healing. So there's a huge interpersonal healing component also, I would say. Right. It's almost as if there's something that's deeply lacking in the human experience these days that's, you know, that we have uh, moved away from in our, you know, urban and hyper capitalist consumerist cultures where we're taken away from two things that we are viscerally very connected to, which is nature and, you know, communities of like tight knit groups of people. Um, and there's something, you know, like, again, I'm having a hard time wording this cause I'm very tired, but like, I feel like for all of the work that's done that I do believe in that I, that I really, uh, put a lot of stock in with, uh, you know, CBT, DBT, um, uh, 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 therapeutic drugs, um, you know, things, antidepressants, things that have helped people from kind of like the sciencey ends. Uh, it seems like there's also this just like more kind of simple, rudimentary, uh, just human aspect that's almost just like almost, I don't know, primordial, primal, like go to nature, like put your feet on some like rocks and like, you know, yell into a Canyon or whatever. And, and like, it's something that can really is hard to explain unless you experience it, um, firsthand. And, you know, I think people experience this in, in different ways. Um, but you know, like, like you were saying with, um, with, your clients discovering things that they didn't think that they could do and overcoming physical obstacles and uh, sort of learning and growing as a group uh, is also, I mean, again, it's uh, it's a communal thing that I think is really beautiful. And it's something that, you know, I personally experienced um, doing uh, martial arts recently um, pushing my body into a, um, into a, an environment that I always sort of thought I was, I I just had this narrative in my head all the time that I was like too weak and too frail and too brittle for that type of thing. Um, and then going to the first few classes and feeling just like, not only just the chemical rush of all the endorphins from the workout, but also, um, and you know, the, the, uh, subsequent just exhaustion over the next few days of like feeling your body kind of like ratchet up its, its fitness. Um, but also the feeling of finding strength in your own body is so just deeply, uh, kind of, uh, a really 
humbling kind of spiritual experience that's really hard to uh, describe to people. And I think that's why, you know, when people get into a certain whatever it may be, pastime, uh, exercise, if it's CrossFit, if it's mountain biking, if it's whatever, uh, they get kind of uh, sometimes a little too jazzed about it. <laughs> it, it like annoying yeah, it talk about it too a, much. It can become they, a process addiction. Yeah, and they, can, yeah, they're actually sure. hooked on dopamine rush associated sure. with, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm not even, you know, talking about like the, the kind of like dark side aspect of it where people get oh, like, okay. addicted to it. I'm talking about like <laughs> just people, the way people just like light up and get so excited and get so oh, like almost annoying yeah. about like how into CrossFit they are or whatever the fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, I argue that if they're that annoying, you know, like I hear you, like <laughs> I hear, I hear people when they're like, yeah, it's, it's really annoying to like, if somebody gets into, you know, this or that thing, you know, yoga or whatever. And then like, they won't shut up about it. But I'm also like, <laughs> I understand why, because it lifts you spiritually in such a crazy way. It's like, it's like church. It's like, it's, and, and as a, as a person, you know, pretty like agnostic atheistic like i don't go to an actual like church that's the experience of you know of of, like sitting in a class with people and we're uh we're holding pads and we're punching things and we're you know rolling on a mat and we're there's just something that clicks it's and it's really yeah there there are brainwave changes right so you actually are more open to i mean there's some science behind it but i'll I'll just uh i guess simplify by saying like higher states of consciousness like you Mm -hmm. can access higher states of consciousness through especially interpersonal physical activity um people have epiphanies at out-of-body experiences and peak experiences and yeah um you know it can be really divine yeah, it's and and you know, as somebody who, again, as somebody who is, uh, you know, fairly science-minded, atheistic, and and not really, you know, into the like crystals and woo-woo stuff of you know that that a lot of people are like, that's where it's difficult for me to sometimes even like communicate that experience, you know, to to like all of my like like kind of like nihilist uh uh atheist friends who you know like uh are are very like materialist about their approach to life uh well and the data is out there it's just you know you mentioned capitalism and it's really kind of a byproduct of capitalism that you know a lot of the therapeutic practices that are popular cbt dbt Mm -hmm. as you mentioned um, you know, in these certain models, matrix model, uh, seven challenges. I mean, they're evidence-based. Well, there are a lot of evidence-based practices, but the ones that like SAMHSA, like the federal, you know, oversight organization recognizes, um, tend to be the ones that just have a shit ton of funding. So there's a, there's a matter of privilege kind of that goes along with, um, therapeutic modalities and, um, adventure therapy also functions well as an adjunct. So it's not necessarily a core therapy, although it can be. Um, but, you know, like I mentioned, we work mostly with groups. And so they're intact groups who are like in residential treatment or in like a reintegration program or, you know, some group of people who already have some kind of structure going on. And we come in once a week and work with them and have sort of, um, you know, a 
a different experience for that day or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, it is hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to, um, kind of defend and justify, um, you know, therapies that are, that just haven't had as much funding, but there is a lot of data out there. Um, there are a lot of studies, a lot of schools have done a lot of, um, you know, you just kind of have to dig deep and do research and, and there are a lot of, um, types of research that aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily the scientific model, but are really quite legit. Um, so, you know, if we're doing like metadata analysis or these things are still highly relevant, it's just not through the same process of establishing legitimacy, but it can be hard to talk about, but the, the data is out there. Yeah. It's, it's hard again, it's hard to articulate, um, Mm -hmm. because it is such a, it's, it's a visceral experience as opposed to a cerebral one. Um, or at least it's, it seems that way when, you know, when, when I'm, when I get to that, like whatever it is, like sort of higher plane feeling where I feel like I'm like with my, uh, my sparring partner, my rolling partner with my coach, whoever. And I feel this like kinship with them. And I feel like this sense of like bonding with them. That's, that's not deeper, but is, distinct and different from just like friends and like workmates and relationships and drinking buddies or whoever, you know, like there's something else going on there. The, the a wavelength you operate on. Yeah. And it's this, coherence, like, like in, yeah. in heart math, they call it, which is another, um, you know, scientifically based, um, therapeutic, um, sort of explanation for it. it it's a whole kind of school of thought that heart math is, um, pretty cool but they talk about coherence in that way so we um and there actually are you know there's there's an electromagnetic field that can be read um from any person but they study those electromagnetic fields in between people and interpersonal interactions and so when you're attuned like that doing the same thing focused and disciplined in the same way there's yeah something really special that happens the reason that i'm so drawn toward uh my coaches is because they give me something that is so important, you know, especially like through the pandemic when I was doing these like, you know, just, I mean, honestly, pretty like sad virtual workouts over like YouTube or over Zoom or whatever. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like shadow boxing yeah. and shit or like lifting <laughs> kettlebells over, you know, like in your living room and it just sucks. Um, yeah. But that was so sanity saving to have that. Um that hour or so a day where you're doing something that's different, you're moving your body, you're, it was, it was, it was sanity saving. Like, I don't know, even know how, like how else to, to put it. So like, like where, like, you know, when we finally started like going back out in the world, there were a couple of the instructors who I hadn't even met in person. And when I finally did, it was like, meeting a celebrity or something or like meeting, meeting <laughs> yeah. like, you know, a meeting like Gandhi or some shit like that, where you're just like, Oh my God. Like, I, I don't know how to tell you like how grateful I am and, and how much like you mean to me and almost like kind of a, you know, I had to like hold myself back from like making it like a creepy parasocial thing where I'm just like, no, I really, I, I fucking, I love you. I love you. you know, like, and, and like, like be too intense with them. Um, because it, it was just, it was like the only thing that was, uh, 
consistent and was positive and felt like I was like building towards something through like the whole pandemic. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you had that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I get it. So what are, what is your, your typical clients? What do they usually um, come to you with? Um, well, I work at a substance use treatment center. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there, there's a primary diagnosis of some sort of substance use disorder and, but, but almost everybody um, is dual diagnosis. So has um, some other mental health um, diagnosis and, you know, almost everybody, I would say everybody, but you know, it, it can be argued, but um, has severe trauma. Like mm -hmm. people who make it into their, you know, well into their adult years and they are, you know, killing themselves and ruining their lives with substances. Um, they've got a lot of trauma, every single one of them, I would argue. Um, so I work with folks um, in finding other ways to cope. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, and, and resourcing. So it's, uh, you know, a lot. Of, so I don't know if this is relevant for your show, but I would say like I went to therapy school in Santa Fe and I went to a private school, which is very expensive. And I'm going to be anyway, I'm on a public service student loan forgiveness program because I'll never be able to pay for school. Right. But it was like life saving. I had to do something different with my life. And I was like this. I, I can stay alive if I do this program kind of shit. Um, anyway, I went to, it was a private school, very crystals, woo woo, all that shit you were talking about. Um, and a lot of rich kids went there and a lot of the therapists who come out of Santa Fe as a result of that school being there and Santa Fe is, um, well, there's a caste system, but you know, in general, like pretty well, like well-to-do people, a lot of money in Santa Fe. Um, a lot of people have no fucking clue how to help people resource like they don't know how to connect them with local programs and how to help them get on food stamps and Medicaid and how to go to 12 step and how to find child you know it's very like hands-on concrete work with a lot of the people mm -hmm. who I work with because they it's foundational Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know it's it's uh, safety and security stuff it's survival shit so you can't really do a lot of these top tier like transpersonal psychology things you can here and there but until somebody has sort of foundational safety and relationships and a life and you know then then sometimes people are ready to work more on that spiritual thing absolutely but um, i would say yeah a lot of what i do is emotional regulation stuff helping people learn how to notice and uh kind of intervene with their emotions and mm. not go to destructive things um to cope that's been a big one for me. That's what that's what I've been working on a lot, Amy. Um, I've been uh, in uh, a DBT group outside of my regular just talk therapy every week. Um, Love DBT. DBT is fucking great, and yeah. it's it's something that I only came into, you know, despite having been like in and out of therapy since I was like you know, kid, like since I, since I, you know, first met you, like since I knew you, let's like, probably before I knew you, like, I remember when we knew each other back in Lincoln, I was going mostly for depression. I had like a lot like major depressive disorder was like really rearing its head as it often does in your early twenties. That's when it really starts to blossom. Um, but like even before that, when I was even younger, I had been diagnosed with ADHD. So I got ADHD, I got depression. And then, um, 
throughout my 20s, I start noticing like that, man, I just like fly off the handle if shit goes wrong. And I, you know, I'm not a, I have to say this very often, like I'm not a violent guy. I don't, you know, I don't like hurting yeah. people. I don't do any of that, but I am, I can self-destruct. I can self-harm. I can hit things, break things. And there's this overwhelming urge to lash out and destroy um, that is oftentimes proven to be uncontrollable and has, has gotten the better of me many times. Yeah. And wasn't until I was in my like late 20s when I started to piece together that like, oh, that is an ADHD thing, that emotional dysregulation has like um, a lot of overlap. There's ADHD and like BPD that have some overlap there because I read symptoms of BPD and it didn't really like I was like, I don't think that's me except all these other like uh, the impulsivity and like uh, hypersexuality and anger and emotions and just like and this like really intense um, like hyper arousal kind of state was always mm -hmm. there and I was just like but that's not ADD because the way that you describe ADD to you when at least we were growing up was like oh you're bad at school and you're bad at work mm -hmm. and how can we make you more productive and again like you were saying with like the more kind of uh, uh, I don't know well funded modalities of therapy uh, it seems like those are more dedicated to getting people back into you know, like getting them plugged back into their jobs and school, yeah. and making them productive <laughs> yeah, members of society. Yeah, there's a thing there. Side note, side note. The first, so to be um, a non-independently licensed clinician, you know, prior to getting your 3,000 supervised hours and XYZ and the other tests and stuff, um, there's a there's a test you have to take, um, and it's a national counseling exam, NCE. And I swear to God, half of the questions on there apply to career counseling, getting people making money for rich people kind of bullshit. Like I swear it was nearly half at least um, of the questions were about how to help people get back to work. Yeah. Kid you not. So sorry, we can rewind now. No, just, that's okay. Like, like that's what I, you know, like, again, this was a thing that I've, you know, I think Doug Stanhope has like a, a bit about that or he's just like, is there really something wrong with you or are you just like not making people enough money? Are you just like yeah. not producing <laughs> enough things? And so they they think you have a problem. So they're going to give you Ritalin and like, you know, all this. and like, yeah, I mean, I can see where he's coming from on that. Um, but it, you know, it just really it blew my mind and kind of irked me that all this time there was this emotional dysregulation aspect of ADHD uh, that I wasn't really made aware of. And I was like seeing yeah. therapists about this stuff. And like, we they never pieced it together until like, I finally got one that was like, oh yeah, that's an ADHD thing. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, and it, and it made things make a lot more sense. And in my DBT group, I think I'm probably the only person who's like not actually diagnosed with BPD. And I want to circle back around to BPD and like what that is and, mm -hmm. and, and why it's a kind of a fucked up name for it and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, that's such a stigmatized uh, disorder because it can be so destructive because it can be so uh, chaotic and really, you know, I don't know, like, but the people, you know, with relational instability being kind of one of the key features, um, it affects people. It affects the people who know people with BPD. So people, you know, there's, there's all this, you know, people care more because they're affected by that person. You know, somebody has got major depressive disorder. Yeah. They, you know, may or may not be too affected, but yeah, if you're in close relationship with somebody um, who has borderline features, um, yeah, it's, it might be a little more stressful for you. So people, yeah, have more to say about it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, so all of that to say that like everybody in there is very dedicated to, uh, rising to the challenge and, and, and working on those new, uh, on these new skills, because I think we've all gotten to the point where we're like, Oh, nothing works and like I keep fucking things up and I keep doing this and you know you have to get sort of backed into a corner eventually you know uh and and have to get put in that position where you're like this has gotta this has gotta work you know and and so like I guess we're all kind of finally there um but yeah I don't know um I I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you feel about you know working in kind of um, I don't know an institution that like I do put a lot of stock in, but I also have some problems with. Like I have problems with the DSM and like the way certain things, such oh, as sure. BPD, borderline yeah. personality disorder, uh, like just that label, you know, in and of itself, I think is a kind of a crappy label and like I was talking to my therapist about it and she was just like yeah I don't know why we call it that you know and like there's working within a system I've talked to past guests about this I had this social worker on Maria Guido um who's like much more kind of like I would say anarchist minded than uh she is really allowed to be working within court systems and 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 things like that, that she doesn't like. And, you know, but she, she's like, well, I work within the system, even though I think the system is, uh, garbage. And I hope yeah, you, if you want to work with the people who need the most help, you have to work within these, yeah. you know, bureaucratic systems, rich people can afford to do the private pay thing and whatever that don't need a diagnosis, but people who are on Medicaid, yeah, you've got to play the game, mm-hmm. um, which sucks, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it's a matter of privilege for a therapist to be like, I don't, but you, I mean, you just have to hold both realities, which is kind of hard to DBT, right? It's that dialectical, right. dialectical. like you've got to hold the bullshit, you've got to function within the bullshit and still, you know, you know better and, you, and you've got all these other frameworks for, you know, how you look at things and the people you're inter- interacting with or engaging with, but you got to do the both if you want to be effective for more than just like, you know, the richest people in our country. So, yeah, you got to play the game, I think. Yeah, it's it's something that I hope and I think is getting better uh, just by and by is getting better in in our society where people from different 
classes, you know, working class, lower class, whatever you want to call it, are starting to have these conversations about mental health. Um, it's being more mm -hmm. stigmatized. And that's, you know, hopefully, I mean, if I do anything with this podcast that is improving the world, it's like just popularizing that conversation with people um, who, you know, maybe, I don't know, who are maybe on the fence about it or who don't necessarily have the resources because they, you know, they, they wait tables or whatever. And they like work nights as like a, a unpaid, you know, comedian or whatever. And so they, they don't have the money for a therapist, but they need to just start thinking about those things. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Uh, let's talk about you though, Amy. Um, Can I, I just, I, I feel inspired to, sure. to say a few things. Um, one is that I, I also feel hopeful that things are changing and I really appreciate your podcast and everyone who's out there doing work to destigmatize conversations about mental health and, um, and helping people heal. But uh, also part of the reason why is um, a lot of the, you mentioned like the DSM, um, when they came up with the DSM five a handful of years ago, there was a lot more discourse than in previous years about um about the formation of these so-called disorders. So um, that wasn't, you know, prior to the DSM-5, a little more so with the four, you know, like historically speaking, it's been more like identifying symptoms. These are these are the symptoms that people have. And so when they have this many out of, you know, then when they have eight out of 10 of these symptoms, um, you can diagnose them with this. There's been more and more discourse about trauma leading to the formation of all these disorders. So. Like for instance, ADHD is, is thought of by some of the smartest people out there. Gabor Mate will is he touts this and has a really great book on it. Um, that ADHD is is a trauma-induced dissociative disorder, which is not the way that it's documented or thought of typically. But um, it, we're just really thinking about things in a new way. I think some of the kind of uh, forerunners in the the field of psychology. So. Um, I'm also hopeful. I think that we're looking at things instead of being like top down, we're kind of looking like bottom up, or maybe it's the reverse of that. I don't know. But either way, there's a reversal of the way that um, the field is, or at least there's more and more of a reversal of the way people are thinking about things, how these things form rather than just the symptoms and then, you know, extracting like ruling in rather than, I don't know. Anyway, um, I wanted to say that because I feel pretty passionate about it myself and yeah, diagnoses are a pretty loose framework um, for really helping people. Yeah, it's, I mean, you look just a generation or two ago and it really felt like uh, therapy was just something that was kind of a game for rich people um, mm -hmm. and was just sort of like a thing for privilege. I think that's, still the stigma that it faces now uh that that i'm trying to you know kind of work against uh in the eyes of i guess uh uninitiated people um with with therapy is that it's not just a place for you know just privileged white folks to go and complain and make up problems and explain why their life is so hard and blah 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 it's really about what we were talking about earlier, like the human experience and, you know, touching grass and being in a community and feeling like you're a part of the human race and like getting back to some sort of primordial, uh, 
hunter gatherer thing that that sort of pushes away the notions of who we're supposed to be and you know who who we're supposed to be in the eyes of our family and capitalism and our peers and and just try and get to the heart of you know who we are and how we can improve ourselves and be happier and be just better nicer people you know i mean yeah yeah i'm um, second in that emotion so let's talk a little bit about you amy and, and what brought you to um to to therapy in the first place and to be like actually i want to i want this to be my whole job <laughs> sure um I uh, I had a pretty fucked up childhood and I, I didn't really know it until I was like 15, 16. I started like realizing things. Um, and I was high, I was very depressed. It started and there, there are neurobiological reasons for why major depression often manifests before um, more like uh, hyper aroused disorders tend to for some people. Um, but I don't know if we have time for all of that, but major depress major depressive disorder um, emerged for me first. I would say um, I also have PTSD and generalized anxiety disorder diagnoses. But um, so the depression was uh, so my teen years. I was very depressed. I had a few teachers at, at our high school um, who really influenced me, and um, one of them is Shauna Meyer, a sociology teacher, who just really got me thinking in terms of um, well sociology and uh, social constructivist thinking and um, feminist uh, psychology. There is a whole realm of psychology called feminist psychotherapy that I subscribe to like big time. Um, so anyway, she was just very influential in my life and because she just like helped me really shift paradigms in that way. But I would say um, the most influential person during that time was my psychology teacher, James Perry. He was, I don't know if you remember either of these people, if you ever had him, but uh, James Perry was just like a new term. He just got me, I was so fascinated by psychology um, because he came to it from a, a transpersonal psychology perspective. So it was very like psycho-spiritual, which was um, really enriching to me at the time. Um, a crew of uh, my friends and him started a philosophy club and a meditation club and different, you know, and it was just, he was a lifeline. Cause I didn't, I mean, I didn't have any healthy adults in my life <laughs> besides a few teachers. So um, that was sort of a spark, I would say. And then um, I, after, after high school, I went to college university of Nebraska for one year um, before I dropped out and just kind of like my world crumbled. I had a, a really painful breakup um, with a, from a long-term relationship at that time. And uh, my boss at a job um, sexually harassed slash assaulted me. It was like a hands-on harassment kind of gross thing. Um, so I had to quit. I didn't have any income. My apartment was getting eaten up by black mold Um and I just had, oh, I started seeing a therapist for the first time at that time also um, because of just how, how like devastating the breakup was for me. That was like the, the impetus for me going into therapy. Um, I was suicidal. I was, I was a fucking wreck. So um, also I was doing all sorts of drugs. Like I, um, yeah, but, but that first year of college, I just kind of like flunked out and was like doing all these drugs and um and I, um, I was taking transpersonal psychology. That was um, that was the one class I 
probably did okay. And I think I got a B, but I love the content. And my professor at the time, it was his last term teaching. He was retiring. Um, and he also, uh, as part of the course, we were, um, we had to pick up a spiritual practice of some sort, um, just as kind of an experiential research project. And so he introduced me to a course in miracles, which was also very um, inspirational and helpful to me. Um, and anyway, long story short, it was kind of like that Timothy Leary, like turn on, tune in, drop out shit. Um, so after, so I was like 19, um, I dropped out of school and I had a friend um, who invited me to like hitchhike and train hop and just travel with him. And so I spent a few years doing that off and on. Um, and just really focusing on myself. And um, I, I didn't do any therapy at that time, but I was heavily involved in, or not involved, but I would say um, practicing A Course in Miracles pretty intensely during that time. And I had a lot of profound experiences. Um, and so when I was finally ready to kind of like come back to, <laughs> to life, to reality, to start paying off the credit cards and student loans and all the shit that I just like, tried to spiritually bypass and pretend weren't there, you know, to, to really fix my life, really. Um, I was like, I want to go back to school and study psychology. I wanted to be a psychologist at the time. And then I realized, like, parts of that, those programs um, were going to be too hard for me in certain ways. And, um, like, the whole uh, left brain side of things, which I actually have a really strong left brain, I promise, but it was, but I didn't want to commit to doing all that. Um, I didn't feel like I had enough of what it would take to do that. Um, and also, I just want to highlight that I do think that um, soft skills and a lot of right brain stuff, um, which is also a side note, um, you know, the right brain, left brain thing isn't entirely accurate, yeah. but uh, it's not, it's but not literal, really but it's, it's more of like a framework of how it, uh, how to think about those two sides of consciousness. Basically, yeah. it's not literally the right side of your brain, the left side of your brain. Yeah. Um, it is a little bit, but not, not entirely like people think, um, because it's, it's also, that's a feminist thing too, to say that like, oh, this like logical stuff is very like, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's bullshit. And like the, the softer side of life, um, where some of these soft skills are highly sophisticated and, um, and very undervalued. So anyway, as a side note, just, um, yeah. so I went back to school, I got my degree in psychology. Um, I decided to, uh, work for a while and I did a lot of social services work and while I was in school um, I I was working as a direct support staff for folks with disabilities um, so I got a lot of experience and education through just working with with people with all these different um, you know, just a diversity of like neurology and, and physical disability and all sorts of different things so that was pretty cool um, but I entered, um, I worked as a foster care specialist. So that's like basically service coordination for um, kids in foster care. And um, I worked for the Department of Developmental Disabilities and did um, service coordination work and case management. And um, I ended up working on this specialized team that oversaw um, this reintegration process because there was a federal lawsuit against Nebraska for having a state institution that was um, 
just abusive and fucked up. So they, they came in, um, they said everybody who's in this facility needs to enter a community-based program. So I was on this team that was overseen by the Department of Justice, the Federal Department of Justice and the state of Nebraska. So um, that kind of positioned me uniquely for this gig when I moved to Santa Fe, working as the executive director of a program that was trying to do that, that they were trying to um, bring people from a state institution where there was a federal lawsuit um, out into the community. So um, I kind of got in like that way. And um, anyway, long story short, uh, I was just, I didn't want to do all of this administrative stuff. Administrative stuff's kind of a gift of mine, but I don't want to do it, you know, 40 to 90 hours a week. Um, and I decided to go to grad school for therapy. And my intention was never actually to be a therapist. I was like, I just want a master's degree so I can do something else. I, I don't know. Like, I just want more credentialing so that I'm taken seriously. Um, and I, I just never really envisioned myself being a therapist until it started happening, which is kind of weird. But um, all throughout that time, you know, uh, minus a couple years of traveling, um, you know, I've done a lot of individual therapy, a lot of different um, modalities with a lot of different therapists for a lot of different reasons. But, um, you know, and, and it wasn't until I was into my 30s um, that I saw a psychiatrist for the first time and started taking medication. And that's been immensely helpful as well, I would say. Hmm. What is what is really surprised you about the field that you're working in? And what is um, what are some of your kind of favorite things? And what is um, what would you say is like kind of the most uh, frustrating aspect? Um, the, the documentation processes, not that they're not necessary, like, um, you know, completing assessments and, um, justifying diagnoses and documenting interactions, but there's a lot of redundancy and a lot of like documentation that's like for no good reason. Like there's, it's <laughs> like somebody can go in and out of treatment 30 times, you know, and they're 60 years old and they're telling the same fucking story over and over again. Um, and, you know, therapists are spending three hours trying to pull all that together. It's just, there's a lot of like bureaucratic, like bullshit. Um, I, I am a fan of, of efficient and necessary documentation, but there's just, there's so much of it. Um, that's just nuts really. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then there's a lot of like, you know, when you work in the field for a while, you notice like all these people, like they don't really give us like the, the clinicians and the uh, people doing the assessments and, you know, admissions and all that. They, they don't, they're like not attuned. They're just like trying to get the answers to the questions. They can submit the shit so they can get the funding. And like, it, it, there's, it, there's some like sterility and just like, it's kind of, um, kind of, I don't know, just fucked up, I guess, like to be face to face with somebody who's, struggling that hard you've just ripped the carpet out from under them they're giving up their their primary coping mechanism they're horrified and like it's just this cold like shitty administrative stuff that um you know is we probably do 90 percent more than we need to do in my opinion um if we could just find systems that would work better or or if um 
you know, like doctors, you go to a fucking doctor's office and they spend five minutes with you and you've got 30 diagnoses and 15 medications. And like, um, it's therapy is undervalued in that way. So, um, social services are the most underfunded field, um, for the level of like education and credentialing required out there, period, because it's female dominated um, and because they're, well, just our society doesn't value humans, <laughs> you know, basically, um, at, you know, by and large, at least. Um, so there's just a lot of frustration around kind of like the, the structure of the field. Um, and then one thing that surprised me is that how simple it really all is. I mean, I've really, I've had to hone in my skills through school and experience um, and, and all therapists have, but um, yeah, I've worked with a lot of non-credentialed, you know, therapeutic adventure facilitators and case managers and admissions workers. And um, they some of their skills are better than and some of the therapists I know, and I think, um, you know, in all of these skills, you learn, it's skill-based stuff, it all is, like, even if it's psychodynamic, it's still like, oh, learning a little bit about metaphor and symbolism, and, um, you know, like, you can work with it a little bit and learn the skill of interpreting dreams, you know, you have to continue to learn to be um, good at it, but, you know, it's just, it's not rocket science, but I don't think anything is, I don't think medicine is, I don't think rocket sciences, you know, I think it's a matter of just, you know, learning and continuing to learn. And so um, I guess what surprised me is like how proficient so many non-clinicians are at therapeutic work and at helping people really in a therapeutic way. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm not a fan of like gatekeeping, even though I do think, um, you know, it's important to find somebody with, with, the, you know, fitting credentials and education and all that. But still there's this, just by and, or by and large, I, I never use that term, and I've used it twice now. Um, but, you know, generally speaking in society, I think there's a lot of like gatekeeping around like titles and roles that, um, I don't know, I think it's kind of silly sometimes. Um, anyway, that's what surprised me. And then the thing that I've probably enjoyed or appreciated or found the most satisfying is, um, but, you know, it's not necessarily like people turning their lives around these epic, like, hey, you know, this is where I was five years ago. And now look at my life. It's more like the moment when you get to like be a part of and witness like the moment when when somebody realizes something important, even like you know, those insights when you get to be a part of like somebody's aha moments. Um, I think that's the coolest. And I get to do that all the time. I love it. How much the therapeutic process, uh, really did for me, uh, how much understanding just mental illness and, you know, just my shit, depression, anxiety, uh, ADHD, just as concepts, seeing how important that was just for me to even like survive and not fucking kill myself 10 years ago, you know, yeah. is, is just so, is just so profoundly important. And sometimes I think about like, man, should I have like gone to school for this? Is this a thing that I should have done with my life? And then, you know, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, cause there's like a bajillion there's, it, did you see, um, everything everywhere all at once that movie? No. I think you would like it. Um, 
it's really? yeah uh it, it's it's about the multiverse and it's about this woman who's <laughs> dealing with uh kind of these different possibilities these different uh avenues her life might have taken um but i don't know i think about that a lot i guess uh and sometimes try and i don't know make up for it with this with this show i don't know what i'm saying um i hear you and i think about that all the time too um you know sort of one of the precepts of feminist psychotherapy is really um acknowledging circumstance and like there are we're really um you know we think that we have all this free will and stuff but you know there are reasons why the statistics show that there are certain demographics of people who suffer from certain things more than other demographic groups of people. And, um, and so kind of when you, when you look at, you know, how some, what somebody's like environment was growing up in, in all the dimensions, um, you know, you can see that you can see why they are where they are and what choices they've really been presented with. And, um, yeah, I think about that a lot. I help. I I like to help clients kind of externalize some of the shame that they have, um, that they've internalized mm-hmm. because of societal bullshit, <laughs> because of lack of privilege, mar- marginalization, and um, so that's just something that I think and talk about a lot, actually. Yeah. Something that I've been thinking about and talking about a lot with my therapist lately has been. Um, kind of mourning lost time, like time that was lost to long spans of just being lost, just being depressed, just being too fucking just out of my head to like really get a foothold and, um, and, and have agency in my life. And it's amazing how much time can go by where you just feel like you're just being pulled along by the current. And you know, the, the job you wake up and go to every day is just like, is enough to get you by, but it's not really satisfying you. And to like, actually like grab a hold of a fucking rock in the river and, and pull yourself against the current, um, is difficult and scary (laughs) and takes a lot. And it, you know, when you're, I think depression, especially when you're under the influence, under the influence of depression, the impulse Mm -hmm. is to just, fucking let go let it and it because it doesn't matter which way you swim anyway you know um and and so like i'm in a pretty good spot you know just like headspace wise and material wise like you know i've got a nice apartment so i've got a girlfriend i've got a dog you know i'm I'm doing fine you know i'm i'm surviving um life is pretty good and i'm you know seeing a therapist and I'm exercising and I'm, you know, like you were saying with the hierarchy of needs, like that's all pretty well taken care of. So now finally getting to a place where like I can finally start thinking about like what I actually want to be doing where I'm not just like in a tailspin about like this or that thing and just sort of like trying to kind of just get through the day, um, you know, is, is, is good, but then like I take moments where I'm just like, "Fuck, where did it go?" You know, <laughs> like where did it all go? You know, and it's just it's it's hard to not like get really sad 
when you think about just how much time gets just lost to to just spans of this bullshit yeah i mean i I don't think you're particularly unique in that no (laughs) it's no and i i i almost said maybe part of like the human condition but really probably like the industrialized um society stuff especially yeah Mm. a lot of people there's a saying in japan um that's uh well, the translation is like the nail that stands out will get hammered down. So the there is this like, in, you know, when you're trying to swim against the current um, in any way, you're not just like going to be a cog in the, you know, the capitalist industrial machine um, when you want to like follow a soul's calling or something. Um, there is There are immense amounts of invisible resistance all around us, I think. Hmm. You're actually the first like actual therapist I've had on this show in like a hundred odd episodes. It's mostly, I've just been talking to other, uh, you know, crazy people who don't really know what we're talking about. So it's been very cool and very educational to have you on, um, the show. And I wanted to just uh, give an opportunity to say like, if, if there's anything else that you wanted to, uh, just like let our listeners know, um, you know, I, the general demographic for our show is, uh, young creative types who don't like themselves very much. So if you got it, yeah. if you got something to say to all of, all of my people. Um, hmm. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I am alive because I was one of, because I did, um, a, a lot of work to build a life that I would enjoy. I'm over $150,000 in student loan debt. I don't make I don't make nearly enough to pay that off in my lifetime without using, you know, without these specialized programs for um for student loan forgiveness and, you know, and I'm fucking poor. Like I've never owned a home. I've never thank God, uh, you know, I don't have like dependents and stuff because I just can't I don't know how people do it. Um, but I do think that sometimes it is important to, you know, bar none, if you, so I had to fucking like do a bunch of drugs and hop trains for a few years to survive. Like there were, I, and trust me, people in my life did not like that. (laughs) People really did not like that. And I just think, you know, if it's a matter of survival or living a life worth living, um, take a leap. Take a leap because life's short. And, um, you know, you got to <laughs> buck the system to be happy. Buck the system. Hell yeah. What a beautiful note to end on. This was really fantastic, Amy. Um, so is there anything that you would like to plug? I know you you kind of are uh, in an off season of making your podcast, but uh, maybe you'll come back to that uh, again at some point. Uh, if people, if you, if you want to yeah. plug your socials, whatever, um, feel free to do so now. Sure. Well, um, you can stay tuned. I think I'm going to be doing a podcast with um, a friend of mine who's a personal uh, a personal trainer and a life coach and a Cuban witch and she's fucking dope. Um, I think we're going to do kind of like a femme, uh, queer femme healing 
themed podcast um, that'll probably be coming out this summer. So um, if you'd like to check that out, um, you could follow me on Instagram at Amy Gordon 1985, A-M-Y-G-O-R-D-O-N-1985. And so um, I'll keep you updated. And then Brad, yeah, I would love to have another conversation, maybe have you on that podcast or maybe come back on if you can think of some other things you'd like to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I would love, I would love to have you back on. Um, I'd like to have you on uh, honestly sometime when I'm, when I'm less like kind of tired and frazzled. I feel like I'm like, I keep, I keep just, uh, 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 brain farting. Like my brain just keeps going to like screensaver, like right in the middle of like either you talking or (laughs) I'm talking and I forget what the fuck I'm saying. Like cognitive, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? executive function is just like really like uh, on its on its last thread right now. So um, I hope that this was I hope that this was a, a functional episode. I hope I don't sound like a, a too crazy. I don't know. It's, I, I couldn't feel you more. And it's all good. And yeah, let's let's see what happens in another season. Yeah, sounds good. You know what? I know we're wrapping up. I wanted to ask yeah. you about this, though, because uh, this just came to my brain um as somebody who like i so often am in this space where i feel just sort of like spacey and frazzled and like not fully able to like form sentences and talk to people do you ever feel that way and is that ever like does is that ever does is that ever like an issue where you're like i need to be able to think and engage because i'm at fucking work right now and these people need me and i'm just like a space cadet like how do you I always think about that with my therapist because I'm like, well, they're human beings too. And like, I have so many off days where I'm just like fucking absent and just like dissociating at work. And like, how do they, how do they do it? How do they like sit down and pay attention and remember who the fuck I am and what I was talking about last week? How do they, how do they do it? (laughs) I do it all the time. Not as much with clients as I do with like my supervisor, for instance, like I'll just... (laughs) I don't know what the, like, I'll like dissociate. I don't even know what the fuck I just said. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get fired, you know, whatever. Like, um, less so with clients. And of course, you know, therapists are typically pretty well practiced in, um, you know, regulation practices, exercises, coping skills. So, um, you know, I will every now and again, every once in a while, I just have a client who I find extremely boring. It's very rare, but. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's hard, um, you know, just kind of their pattern of like what they say and how they say it and what they want from you. It can be very exhausting, you know, you know, thank God for masks is like, you know, every once in a while I'll yawn and I'm just like, oh my God, that's like the worst thing ever. But, right. you know, it's kind of a matter of like, uh, engage, you know, intentionally engaging um, and you, that can be done through all, all these different means. Um, for me, oftentimes it's sitting up. I'll do some kind of like um, physical movement. So a slight shaking of my my tailbone, um, which there's a whole um, polyvagal theory practice around that. I'm doing it um, right now. Like foot, feels nice. Yeah. Or like foot rocking, like in my shoes where the client mm-hmm. can't see. But like, um, you know, being more somatically aware is usually a pretty good way to get grounded and um, and get back to that coherent, engaged state. Um, breathing stuff. Sometimes I'll even, you know, oftentimes because there is a therapeutic resonance, whatever's going on for me is there's some kind of reflection going on in that person. So they might be kind of dissociated and rambling, or they might be in this like trauma, um, like uh, circular or like um, kind of, uh, there's a, why can't I think of the word? Anyway, 
they might be in this state too. And so oftentimes it's just a matter of pausing and like reflecting like, yeah. Hey, I'm feeling like kind of exhausted. Like how are, how are you feeling? So just reflecting um, or sharing what your experience is to kind of interrupt whatever that energy is. Sometimes that's helpful too. Yeah. I've had this happen to me on this show where I've had a guest who's just like, it feels like they're just like, I'm not really sure when they're going to stop talking or, and like, they're just like, kind of going on. Dumping. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, cool. Like we're sort of, you veered away from the top and I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to like get back to it. And I think in this setting, it's a lot more, you know, it's kind of like informal and is less, you know, like the, I don't necessarily have a responsibility like in, in in the case that like a therapist does where like oh this person like yeah. <laughs> needs me for their mental health like we're yeah. just like two assholes talking you know and so it's it's a lot more low stakes but like even then it's it's crazy and like so I walk dogs for a living for now and as as, as much longer as I can tolerate it I'm, I'm like I've been doing it for like six years now and I'm just like fucking done it's cool, it's cool but it the the pay is, but you're done. Okay. is the pay is literally oh, dog okay. shit Very... and it's just it's a dead end career well, yeah. like I have it's, no I have no it's a caretaking job of yeah. course it's underfunded right so yeah so like what I was saying is like it it's like an extreme like bottom of the totem pole like dirtbag version of what you do where you have to be present for another creature that needs you and okay. I find that oftentimes when I have a really light day and when uh, I'm able to be more I mean this is this should seem obvious but like when I'm able to be more present and when I have less appointments and when my day is a little more spaced out and I'm able to kind of like mentally reset between each walk with each dog and be like okay and then open the door and like get ready for all their dog energy and stuff um then I'm able to just be so much nicer and when I'm having a really bad day at work I don't I really don't like it like I really don't like how I act I don't like how you know just the vibe I give off like to the dog is just like because they're very empathetic and I'm just like and I'm just like busy and in a bad mood and having a bad day and like the dog won't fucking walk and I'm like mad and just like and like it's just they're picking that up and and it's just like this sucks because I'm not doing anybody any favors and I have like I can't stop because I have a schedule to maintain I've got to walk this dog at one and this dog at 1 30 and this dog at two I gotta walk this dog by 3 p.m or I, I'm in trouble you know and and it just <laughs> like the feeling of being like kind of overwhelmed and just like not being able to kind of stop and just be like I'm sorry I'm very busy right now it's just like it sucks and so like I can only imagine how much worse that is if you are, are a um uh, a therapist or a social worker or whoever with like a really heavy caseload and you got like all of these yeah. like people back to back to back and you're underfunded and you're overwhelmed and 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 like then this person just like is coming to you and they're saying the same fucking thing over and over like I don't I just <laughs> I really might like hats off to you I don't know I don't know how you folks do it it's it's just it's it's crazy to me the the amount of uh, well and I'll, and I'll share something that may you know might whatever um when I first started seeing clients when I was in grad school, my practicum, I was 
mortified of seeing. On my first day, I was having a hard day. I had a panic attack. I have IBS and I had diarrhea. And I was just like, I don't feel like I fucking can't today. And I told my, my instructor, like, I don't feel up to it today. I should just see him tomorrow, see, you know, whatever these two clients that I started seeing another day. Can we reschedule? And she was like, no, she was like, just see what happens. Just see what happens. And so I said, and of course, you're all they they record the sessions and you replay them in class and it's mortifying and um, like performance anxiety. But um, given all of that, even something just something happens when you when you enter a room with somebody and you are you attune with them with the intention of of kind of helping them figure some stuff out. Um, something happens. There's maybe a magic for lack of a better word. Um, and it's, it, it was really, that was um, a really new experience for me that all that went away. Like I didn't have the noise in my head. I was so, you know, focused on the person or focused isn't even the right word, but something happened. That resonance just shifted my self-obsessive like struggles and um, yeah, something shifted. And I think that that happens a lot too. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Just getting to that point where you're not, where you shut off the noise in your head. Yeah. I mean, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get to that for, you know, like for, for a minute, I, and you know, that's on the dark end, like why people, you know, use substances and have risky behavior and mm-hmm. all of that shit. Like, Cause it turns the noise off. It kills the, it kills the fucking voice for a minute. Um, but you know, again, like the, the good side of that is you can hopefully do something constructive with it, like being a therapist or exercising or going outside and canoeing or whatever the hell. So now we're going to actually end it. Um, this was, this was great. Uh, I feel like we, we got onto like a really good thing. Like after I started an outro, but you know, this, this happens, I, I ADHD brain. Sometimes I, spin out and then get back on and uh, you know I, I'm just uh, I, I feel like my hair right now as it is is a really good visual personification of like what my <laughs> brain is like which is why I'm keeping it this way anyway Amy thank you so much uh, this was this was wonderful yeah gladly my honor and I'll talk to you later alright thank you once again to Amy Gordon for being on the show I'm Brad Pearson. I'm tired. We did it, folks. We got through an episode. We did it. Um, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Like and subscribe, all of that. Follow me at Bradical Pearson on Instagram and Twitter. Follow the show at SelfWorst. You can email the show. You can support us on Patreon. Oh, the email is uh, at gmail.com so you, you would need to know that part um, you can support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month you got bonus content on there you can you can ask me all kinds of stuff on there if you want I read your questions on the show if you want whatever you want to do you're paying and I, I will really go out of my way to be uh, very clean cut and professional for my patrons music is by Shea Bartel and uh, 
that's about it. This is Brad Pearson. I'm kind of in between sign-offs right now. I don't really have a sign-off anymore. I was going to end the episode. I'm sorry.